0: Today we're going to continue on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. My name's Reverend Derek Geller. I'm the pastor here at McKees Mills Baptist Church, and I want to say... God is good. I hope and pray as we go through this sermon that God will speak directly to your heart whatever message that he wants to give you from Apostle Paul. We're going to go through some verses that are really intense, and they're really going to show us a lot of things that we need to do when it comes to proclaiming the good news. And talking about the good news, for 2,000 years, humanity has struggled, and we really have. We tried to give the reasons why we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to this world, we're called to make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Christ has commanded us through God's holy word. This is what we're supposed to do. Now, some of us are called directly as pastors and others as evangelists to preach that word on a continuous base. Other people, and it might be your case, where you're called just to give reasons why you have hope. Either way, we have to be ready to give that good news to the world. And the question is, how do we do that? And I got thinking about some of the ministers that are out there. Now in some of the really big churches especially, I've noticed a trend that is really alarming and it's one that's really disturbing a little bit. I noticed that a lot of the pastors tend to water down the, the message. They sit back and they look at the people in the pews and they know the individuals that are coming to church have a lot of sin and they've fallen short of God's glory in so many ways, but they've made sin part of their lifestyle. And as a result of that, they don't want to preach too hard against any one particular sin, because if they do, they're going to anger a lot of people in the church, and then they're going to leave. Because they have done this, though, ultimately, it has led to preaching that is not holy and righteous and true. And you know what? I think we're living in a day and age when we can honestly say, and Apostle Paul talked about this to Timothy, we're living in a day and age today where people just want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Lots of people, when they come into the church, all they want to hear is good, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, the way you're living your life is just perfect, just that way. Don't change anything. You're doing awesome. That's what they want to hear. But what they really need to hear is God has requirements. It's called holiness, perfection. To live our life according to the gospel message is not an easy task, but it's one that we need to do ultimately and I think that we got to accept God's word for what it is instead of reading it through the eyes of our culture. Now, I want to say something very truthful about myself. I'm not saying anything like this in a way that's supposed to be condescending. I'm not accusing other people of doing a really lousy job because, truthfully, i got a lot of sin in my own life. I know that there isn't a day that goes by that I don't sin, and there isn't a day that I don't fall short of God's glory. I am far from blameless and upright. I will admit that freely and I had to rely on God's grace and I got to ask and forgive me on a daily basis, or I wouldn't amount to anything inside of God's kingdom. You know, but the truth is, is that's not what God's looking for. When he's looking for someone to spread the good news, he's not looking for someone who's sinless because God would never find anybody like that on the face of this earth but he's merely looking for us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and when we go out to the world and we tell them about Jesus, not to conform to their ways, especially the way that they think. So many of us ultimately when we go out there, and I think all of us do, we have specks in our eyes. But the truth is our motives matter. It's not just about telling people the truth about the gospel message. I think it's the way in which we tell it. What motives do we have? Why are we telling people about Jesus? Is it to make ourselves look good? Well, if you want just praise for yourself, then obviously that's the wrong motive. But the truth is, is that when we get out there, we've got to tell them all about Jesus because we want them to be saved, just like God the Father in heaven wants them to be saved too as well. So today we're going to focus on Paul's letter. And he talks to the Thessalonians, and he tells them in the, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, he tells them all about how to preach, how to teach, how to spread the good news in a God-honoring way. And I really, really like that. And, and you know what? This is a, a reminder to me, especially as a pastor, not to water down things. You know what? That's really easy to do, and it's very tempting. When you look at the people in the congregation, you go, what if I say the wrong words? You know, what if I say something that offends them? What if I say something that gets them so mad that they leave and take a bunch of people with them? We can't think that way as pastors. We got to think, okay, I want to tell them the truth. The truth will set them free. I want to tell them exactly what God thinks and not what the culture thinks. I want to read God's word through God's eyes and not through cultural lenses, in other words. And I try my very best to do this. And and you know what? This is a reminder to me personally that I got to continue to do this. Now, the first thing that Paul says when we get out to the world, we are required as Christians to speak boldly. You know what, that's not so easy to do. Our culture believes in many different things. They have many different gods, many different beliefs, and they believe there's a ton of different ways to get to heaven, if heaven even exists. And and they just got different thoughts and ideas. And what they're not okay with is somebody coming out and saying, I only know the truth. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to to the Father, except by me and through me. They don't like that message. They want to believe that whatever life they're living is perfect just the way they're living it. So the first thing Paul says is to the Thessalonians and to us today, make sure you tell the world the truth through God's eyes and not through people's eyes. Now, let me tell you a story. Ultimately, if you're going to tell the truth of this world, I can tell you they're not going to like it very much. They're going to persecute you very much so because they don't like that kind of message nobody likes to hear you're not living a good life and the reality is is you need to repent nobody likes hearing that so paul here he's saying he suffered outrageously in philippi and he's telling the thessalonians all about it one day paul was going to a place of prayer and he met a woman and this woman was able to read fortunes, and she was making a great deal of money for her owners by reading their fortunes, and they they would pay her. And she was very good at what she did. She noticed Apostle Paul and Silas, and she sat back and said, wait a minute now. And every time that she saw them, she would give this phrase, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she said it over And over and over again. And eventually, of course, Paul gets a little flustered with her and says, you know what, that's starting to get annoying, that that noise in the background. And Paul looked at her and he said this, he commanded in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the spirit, the demon that was inside of her, leave her now. And of course, we know the demon did. Now, this angered an awful lot of people, of course. The owners soon realized that this, this woman who used to make them a pile of money wasn't able to do so anymore. She didn't have a demon inside of her. She wasn't able to predict the future anymore. And nobody wanted to hire her services. So they realized they lost a boatload of money because of what Paul had actually done. Or they saw it that way. It was really God who did it. But they saw Paul as the culprit. They could no longer be satisfied with Paul being around. They made an accusation against Paul. Now, they couldn't go to the authorities and say, oh, by the way, this guy cast out a demon. Of course, the authorities might not believe them, and it wouldn't matter even if they did. They still couldn't get anywhere in the law because of that. So instead, what they did is they said this. These men are are Jews, and they're throwing the whole city into turmoil, into an uproar. They're advancing customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Uh, And I got thinking about that. Yes, isn't that true? They sat back, and they were basically saying, we got a whole bunch of gods, and Paul keeps saying there's only but one God, and we don't like that very much, and Rome's not going to like that. Paul also said, you're not supposed to worship the emperor. You're only supposed to worship God. That's it. And of course, they're sitting back saying, we don't like that either because we believe we should worship the emperor. And Rome's not going to like that, not one bit. The magistrates ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped, beaten with rods. And after they got a flogging, I mean a severe flogging, they threw him in prison. And they put their feet in stocks. You know, and this is in, in Acts chapter number 16. Now, here's the problem with all this, of course. It was considered an outrage for Apostle Paul and Silas. Paul was a Roman citizen. For the fact that he was beaten and he was treated so poorly, publicly especially, considering the fact he was a Roman citizen and the Jewish people were doing this to him in Philippi, that would be considered absolutely wrong. Not only that, but the people there at the time, the magistrates, did a public spectacle of him. And as a result of that, of course, his message, God's message, would be, you know, looked at in a different way because everybody questioned his integrity now. Now, what does Apostle Paul do with this? He goes back to Thessalonica at this particular point, or he travels to Thessalonica, and he starts preaching the good news again. What would you do? Would you hide your past and say, you know what? I get thrown in prison. I really don't want to tell anybody because then people won't believe in the message. What did he do? He told everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ and he told them all. Yes, I was in prison because of the sake of the gospel message. And everybody thought that ultimately, Paul, if you tell them about your prison sentence, then your message is going to be automatically discarded. That's not what happened. That actually, him telling everybody I was persecuted for righteousness sake, actually made the message come more alive and people believed it even more. Because Paul preached the gospel message, many people became followers of Christ because they looked at him and said, my goodness, we would not sacrifice that much for our supposed gods, but yet you are for the God of Israel. You must know something that we don't. And of course, they were attracted to the message itself. People became very jealous because of this. Very much so. And as a result of that, two groups stood up and they basically said, how do we get rid of Paul's message? How do we fix it? This is not right. Too many people like Paul and we don't like this very much at all. So they started a smear campaign. They questioned his character and his integrity. They accused Paul of being a cynic philosopher. Now that was an individual that would go from place to place. And basically what they do, as you can see in the picture, they would sell whatever they're talking about to the people around them. They would make sure that they get the people so excited and they use flattery and they use pretty words and they get them so excited that they would give the money. And they were very deceptive. And that's what this group was saying. Paul, you're a very deceptive individual. And you know, the truth is though, Paul's sitting back saying, I preach the gospel message ultimately with courage, confidence, boldness, and fearlessness. Paul didn't become angry like this individual you see in the picture with these people that were accusing him. Instead, he saw them all with love and he said, I really want you to be saved. We're given gifts by God, he said. And he said, I didn't take any payment whatsoever, Paul said to his accusers. I didn't get financially rich off of telling the gospel message. I didn't earn anything from it. Not financially, that's for sure. Paul was a tent maker. He made sure he didn't take any money from the church or any of his converts because he wanted to make sure nobody could accuse him of doing something wrong. And he faced incredible persecution because of his speaking about Jesus. Contrary to the cultural norms, the apostolic team did not attempt to hide their beating. Paul said, I'm going to tell everybody that I was beaten, everybody that I was imprisoned, because in the end, that authenticates the message. In other words, I was willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, and the people soon knew that. Paul said, I live a good and holy life. I live blameless and upright, and I have preached to the people that are living in this warped and crooked generation. Uh, Philippians two fourteen 14-16. You know what? Basically what Paul was saying, I'm not sinless. And Paul certainly wasn't. He sinned. He falls short of God's glory all the time. He started out persecuting the Christian um, um, groups, anyone that he could find that believed in Jesus. He persecuted them all, and he put them in prison and had some of them executed, including Stephen. So obviously, Paul was not sinless by any stretch. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. But Paul was saying, now that I've met Christ on the road to Damascus, I'm living for him the best I can. When I fall short, I ask for forgiveness. First John one 9 i I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, and I continue to live a good and holy life. And I'm trying to let my light shine. Jesus Christ shine in my life everywhere. That's what I'm trying to do. And he says, instead of holding a grudge against the humiliating treatment that he got in Philippi, Paul said, I forget what is behind. I strain towards what is ahead. To win the prize in which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. Have you ever been wronged? It's not a lot of fun, is it? Especially not fun when you're inside of a church and you're wronged. Have you ever had somebody come against you just because you're popular in the church? Because some people like what you're saying about the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, our little group forms inside the church and they really want to get rid of you? You know, this happens all the time, unfortunately. And we could respond to that when it does happen with anger and with with bitterness and say, I wasn't treated very well and it was very unjust. But that's not what Paul did. He said, I forget about that bad treatment. God can deal with that. And I strive to keep telling the gospel message, not with hatred, with love, with love for them. Are you doing that? And I got thinking, God calls us to have the kind of commitment that is real and genuine when we speak to other people about him. The kind of God-given courage that Paul and Silas showed at Thessalonica is the same kind of, of, of courage that me and you and everyone else should have. Unfortunately, that's sadly missing from many Christians' lives. As Christ ambassadors and royal priests, we're called to be holy and to serve, and we're supposed to calculate the cost long before we go out there. We know what does it say in Scripture. That if they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you. But we've got to go out there knowing that, but not being affected by that. We can't have the people persecute us and then change a message to appease them. We've got to go out there to please God, which means we've got to keep his message pure. How can we, as God's very own, inspire the world to give up their broad path of pleasure when we ourselves are not able or not willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? You know, we're not able to do this on our own, of course. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. But but if we're not willing to go out and be true to God's word, how are we going to make a difference? How do we have, ask other people to embrace the gospel message wholeheartedly when we're not living the gospel message? To our Creator, we've got to boldly say, You know what? Here I am. Take me. I want to serve regardless of the cost. I will serve you from now to the day I die. This is what Apostle Paul said. You know, on the road to Damascus, after he was blinded, of course, he was told by a servant of God, you are going to suffer many things for my name's sake. He said, you're going to see what real persecution is, Paul. You're going to experience it. And yet, even though Paul knew that to be true, he still said, yes, I will be an apostle of Jesus. Do you feel the same way? Are you willing to be persecuted? Let's go on to point number two. You know, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we find out the second thing. If you're going to go out into the world and boldly preach the good news, make sure you do so with the right motives. And Paul's going on. He's talking a little bit more about those motives again. And we know the story about the Pharisee who got up in the soapbox and basically said, you know, look at me. And he's looking at everybody out there, all the people that are around and says, I'm such a wonderful person. I'm so glad I'm not like this tax collector over here, this sinner. And I'm I'm glad I'm not like the prostitutes. I'm glad I'm not like all the sinners out there. I'm perfect, he was basically saying. And then you got this tax collector who sits back and says, I am glad that Jesus Christ saved me. I am glad that even though I am a sinner, and even though I've fallen short of God's glory, and even though I don't deserve it, Jesus came and died for me. I'm so glad. He wouldn't even look up into the heavens because he felt he wasn't worthy, and he wasn't. And he sat back and said, I'm just so glad that I'm saved. Do you feel that way? Is that the way you're going out to the world to tell them about Christ? Paul states his preaching the gospel message, did not spring from any error. It wasn't with impure motives, nor was he trying to trick anybody at all. You see, the, the philosophers of the day, the cynics, they basically went out and they tried to trick people. Why? Because they wanted to get money from them. Paul said, I wasn't deceitful with anyone. I wasn't having double motives. In other words, I had a motive for me to get rich and then tell them about how they need to change their life. He said, I didn't go out and demoralize the people. I wasn't delusional in my message. I gave the message of Jesus Christ for Christ's sake and not necessarily for my own. I just want to serve him. And this is what he told him. I love this quote here that I have. And it's a beautiful quote. It says, never water down the word of God, but preach it in its undiluted sternness. There must be an unflinching faithfulness to the Word of God. But when you come to personal dealings with others, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Uh, you know, I don't, don't go out there and basically say, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus, but it's for me, not for them. You've got to tell them God loves them. I am a sinner saved by grace, and, and I got saved, and God wants to save you too. And Oswald Chambers makes some really good points here. Make sure we have the right focus make sure that things are right now apostle paul had a problem here to the church of corinth he basically said i become all things to all people to win some to christ and some people accused him and said look apostle paul you're no better than the uh, cynic philosophers you're just becoming like them in order to get you know something over on them you're trying to see them in the same way and paul says no i never watered down the message i never changed anything Yes, I used different ways of communicating the message, but in the end, I gave everybody the message exactly the same. I gave them the truth. He said, I didn't become a fence sitter either. I didn't adapt my message to the varying audiences at all. I used different words, yes, but those words were all the truth. They were stated differently, but they were still the truth. And he said, I might have used different emotions, different ways of presenting things, but in the end, by the truth, you'll be set free. Paul said, I never changed anything, never watered anything down. And he said, I expect the same for each and every one of you to be the same way. We know, Paul contends, that he and Timothy and Silas had speech. And the speech they were using was pleasing to God because it was speech that he understood his own situation. He was very humble. You know, he said, you know, ultimately King David said, you know when I sit and when I rise, you know everything about me. You've written down every single thing I'll ever do on uh, on pages and you know everything about me. You know my thoughts from afar and near.'" You know things about me, Lord, that I don't even know about myself. And Apostle Paul saying, you know everything about me. And he's saying, Lord, test my heart. If there's any sin in there, show me. If I'm going out to the world and telling them about you in a manner that's inappropriate, tell me. So I might ask for forgiveness and so I might not do it ever again. For Paul, the ultimate examination is not even seeking himself, looking inwardly. On his own, it's inviting God to do so, so that if he's ever put to the test by God himself, he will know when he fails and he will repent. Since God is more knowledgeable, more impartial, and a more merciful judge than any human being could ever be, Paul rejoices for his truth, frees him from the tyranny of human criticism. In other words, he's saying, I know I'm speaking what is right because God's already checked the motives of my heart and they are pure. I'm just trying to give the gospel message to the world in the way Jesus wants me to. And I got thinking, the aim of ministry ultimately must be to focus on Christ and Christ alone. He is the originator. He's the perfecter of our faith. Being tasked with sharing the good news is a privilege and a duty that's just absolutely awesome. You know, the truth is, is we got to bring satisfaction to the Lord. we got to please the Lord and not people that are around us. We have to have a single devotion. we got to align our life to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ so that nobody will look at us and say, you hypocrite. Instead, they'll just focus on the gospel message itself. What Paul tells us to put the interests of others above that of his own in Philippians 2.4, This doesn't mean that we're supposed to use flattery with other people or water down God's message. Not at all. He says what you have to do is give them what they need. And what do they need? Jesus. They need Jesus. They need the truth about Jesus. They need to know the truth about their current situation. In other words, they are sinners. They have fallen short of God's glory. And they have not appeased God's righteous wrath at all because they haven't relied on Jesus Christ. They don't believe in His atoning sacrifice. So therefore, they're all going to hell. They're not going to make it to heaven. And Paul wants them to know that. Not to condemn them, not to be angry with them, not to look down upon them, but to say, I really want you to be saved because I love you very much. And this is what Paul's looking for. I got thinking, who helps you when you're trying to figure out your own thought life? It's not very easy, is it? We're not good at judging ourselves. Often when we look at our own motives, we always say that we are pure. Most times when we check ourselves out, it's like looking in a mirror and saying, oh my goodness, I'm just like Jesus. But the truth is, is we do fall short of glory of God, especially very much so. And I got thinking, who helps us to understand any thoughts that are planted by the devil within our minds? Who ultimately shows us that we're being tempted to sin and we are sinning? The sin enters into our thought life, and it's really hard to identify, isn't it? And I got thinking, we really need a mentor, don't we? We need accountability partners, ultimately. We need to have somebody who would describe our relationship with the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and show us where we are weak and where we are sinning. We need someone to challenge us, somebody else, a brother and sister in Christ to say, you need to look at your life. And here's a few areas you need to explore because maybe you're weak here and maybe you're sinning here and we desperately need that. We need someone to come alongside of us and say, are you preaching the gospel message with the right motives? Are you preaching according to God's will? Is your relationship with the Lord growing? Do you have somebody like that? Looking at a scriptural standpoint, they prove to be very smart individuals that do this because they're courageous enough and they're able enough to sit back and say, I know I'm going to get my feelings hurt, I know when the other person shows me my sin, I'm not going to like it very much, but they're willing to do it. Why? Because they want to confess it and make it right with the Lord. Do you have somebody like that? And the last point that I want to focus on is we got to seek praise from God and not from people. That's really important, because if we don't do that, then our motives will always be wrong. And I got thinking, I love this little picture here, and it talks about it. Sorry, I'm going to go back here. I have a couple more words. And lastly, Paul didn't preach about this. Paul said this. He said, you know what? Don't focus on yourself. Don't look for other people to pat you on the back and say, good and wonderful job. Don't look for people to say, the gospel message that you gave me, the way you said it was awesome. Awesome. Don't look for that kind of praise. Don't elevate your own image when you're around other people. Don't focus on yourself because if you do, you make yourself into an idol. Instead, their aim was to emulate and embody the gospel message. They're to let their light shine to the world and ultimately tell the world, I want you to know about Jesus. Don't look at me. Forget I'm part of the message. Focus on the Lord and only the Lord and listen to his message. Now, let me go back to this picture. I love this picture. This is flattery. Paul declares his preaching was devoid. In other words, it didn't have three components in it that he says other people's preaching tends to have. Number one, he says, I don't flatter people. You know, that's very easy to do. We all want people to like us. And we all do. We have that human tendency. And as a result of that, sometimes we flatter other people in order to deceive them into thinking we actually like them or deceive them into thinking that what they're doing is right when it may not be. Because it would be a compromise of the integrity of the gospel message, Paul says, make sure that you're not telling people about the Lord to make them feel good. That's not what you're doing. You're telling them about the Lord in order for them to become saved. They need to be convicted of their sin, and they won't necessarily like the message initially, but once they become born again, they certainly will. Even though in the ancient times, wandering philosophers went around and they they were musicians and they were all these different individuals that were trying to sell a message to the society and trying to deceive them, Paul says, you're not supposed to try to deceive anyone. Just tell them the truth, the truth by which you are set free. Having been entrusted by the grace of God to speak his words of truth, Paul wanted to make certain that he proclaimed the good news without any error. I, I try to do that. I mean, every sermon takes anywhere from probably 15 hours or a little bit better, sometimes even 20, to get a sermon ready. Why? Because it's tough. You want to make sure you're speaking the truth. And and you think about it, this was only six verses and it still took around 15 hours. It's like I still want to make sure I'm saying what is true. And I'm always checking or at least trying to check my motives. The second thing Paul says, if you want to preach out into this world, make sure you're not doing so to get any kind of financial gain. Despite his authority as an apostle, Paul chose not to ask for any support. He could have. He could have said, I'm an apostle, Lord Jesus Christ. I should get support from all the churches. I'm, I'm, I'm Do it. Isn't it fair? Shouldn't I get some? Paul said, I'm not going to bother with that. Instead, what I'm going to do is focus on the will of God, and I'm going to go from one place to the next and tell them about Jesus, and I'm going to be self-sufficient. Paul didn't do that because he had to. It says in the Bible that the ministers are due. In other words, if you are a minister, if you are a pastor, then yes, it is okay to collect from your congregation. Your congregation should pay for your livelihood. Yes, so that'll free you up just to focus on God. That's okay, but Paul says, I don't even want to do that. He says, I'm going to forego that privilege. I want to take nothing from anyone so they'll all focus on Jesus. In contrast to the cynics who who basically hesitated to sacrifice their time and money, their comfort, their reputation for any cause, Paul said, I'm willing to give anything and everything to proclaim the good news to this world. And lastly, Paul did not preach to gain any praise from any individual anywhere. Except for God Himself. Paul, Timothy, and Sylvanus were not focused on self promotion. They were not focused on, on basically selling their own image, you know, which would have mounted nothing more than self-righteousness, which is never right in God's sight instead their aim was to emulate and embody the gospel message they wanted to let their light shine towards the one who is their object of their deepest affection they want everyone to know the treasure and the pearl they found in the field they want everyone to know how much jesus meant to them they wanted everyone to know they could be saved just like they were they want to know you're not beyond redemption all you have to do is believe in the atoning sacrifice of christ and you could be saved too and they're telling them that message and that was their focus So I want to finish with this. Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you doing so in a way that makes sense? Do you speak the truth by which you have been set free? But is it purely the truth? Or have you watered down the message to appease the people you're talking to? When we share the good news, we're not trying to provoke anger. We're not trying to provoke this world into basically looking at us and getting bitter towards us because we're telling them we're not living good and holy lives. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to instigate conflict, diminish spirits, or condemn other people. We urge people to be reconciled unto God because we love them, and we know that God loves them. It says in the Bible, God the Father wishes none to perish, and we should have the same attitude. We should also, as ministers, especially have the attitude, no matter who we meet, no matter how wicked they might be, no matter how sinful they might be, no matter how much they might hate God, We've got to make sure that we look at them through the eyes of Christ who hung on the cross. We've got to be able to see Christ, God's image, within them and realize how much God truly loves them. And this is the attitude we must have. Since communication is far more than merely the spoken word, we've got to make sure that our goal when we go out in the world is to plant seeds of righteousness in this world we got to make sure we got the right motives. Motives that if Jesus was standing physically right beside us, he would say, good and faithful servant. How can one speak words of holiness, though, if we are not inwardly living for the Lord? How can we say to other people, Jesus means everything to me, when nothing in our lives has truly changed since we supposedly got saved? We've got to make sure our message is pure, and we got to make sure the things in our lives, the way we live, Nothing detracts from that gospel message. In other words, nobody can look at us and call us a hypocrite. They can, of course, because we're sinners. But we want to make sure that we remove every stumbling block we possibly can. That means all the sin in our lives to make sure that they won't point at us and only focus on us. We've got to do the best we can here. We're all sinners. That's a reality. But we've got to spend an awful lot of times, especially the pastors of this world, asking for forgiveness. It seems like I'm always asking. Always. But I got to ask more because the truth is I sin a lot and I've got to find ways to say, Jesus, please help me not to sin again. Please help me to become more like you in everything that I do. As we make Christ appeal to the world to be reconciled unto God, we got to do so with great compassion towards them and realize that they too can be born of the water and the spirit. And that's a beautiful gift that God always offers them. We've got to realize that our work as ministers, especially anyone who goes out and tells anyone about Jesus Christ, is never in vain as long as we have our focus on Jesus Christ. As long as our eyes are fixed on the Lord, who's a pioneer and perfecter of our faith, then our labor is never in vain, even if they don't become saved. Humbly, we've got to acknowledge to this world that we are sinners, and we have fallen short of God's glory, but yet he still saved us and wants to save them too as well. So let us get out. Let us go to this world. Let's make the disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded by doing the same ourselves, by living for God's word, by being ambassadors of Christ, true ambassadors that embraced his teachings out of great joy. May we tell the world, God loves you and God wants you to be saved too. To be obey everything that Christ has commanded is critical. And may we do that. May we tell them, you know what, I'm trying and I'm struggling and I'm really having a hard time obeying everything that Jesus Christ has commanded, but I am really trying and I am a surprise, but by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changing me. He's molding me. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you all about my journey from where I was really a wicked, wicked sinner and I was lost and now look where I am now and that's all God's doing. Let me tell you about this, not for me to get honor, but for you to see it's possible for you to get close to the Lord and become one of his children. This is our message. So may we not water it down. May we boldly go out and preach the good news and may we always tell this world the truth out of love and kindness to this world. Amen. And amen. May God bless you today.